I wanted to elaborate with greater breadth and expansiveness upon the presentation which I gave on the podcast earlier this week. We titled the presentation Parshas Pekude Home is the Heart Home is where the heart of the Jewish nation beats. We were studying Sefer Shmos as a whole. Sefer Shmos as it begins in the Etzias Mitzrayim story and as it continues through Matan Torah and as it culminates in these final parashiyas with Mishkan and tracing a pattern. A pattern about the centrality of the bias, the centrality of Jewish family life. To begin with, the Ramban's famous statement in his preface to Sefer Shmos, where he writes, Sefer Shmos, as the Book of Redemption, Sefer Hagaula, ends with Mishkan, because lo the Jewish people were only considered redeemed when they recovered the level of the Avos and the Imos of having Shechina in their tents. The Avos and Imos, well, they were able to feel the divine amongst them in the tent, in everyday home life. Well, somehow we recovered that through the Mishkan at the end of the parasha, bringing Hashem's presence back into our homes, back into an actual bias, as the Mishkan represents. This is what redemption, this is what the goal of Sefer Shmos is really all about. What I want to study now is how this commentary of Ramban, the centrality of the Jewish family to Sefer Shmos and to Jewish existence, is borne out from a splendid textual pattern which we will trace throughout the Sefer. Some of which we mentioned in the podcast, but we will be bringing further proofs, clues, sources, stitches in the tapestry. Additional stitches will become apparent tonight. So for starters, let's go back to the beginning. The opening Pasuk. In Sefer Shmos. It starts, And these are the names of B'nai Yisrael coming down to Egypt. Yaakov, each man in his household, came down. It unmistakably echoes of a sister passage in Sefer Bracious, which describes the settlement to Mitzrayim and employs almost the same language back in Parshas Vayigash. And these are the names of B'nai Yisrael coming down to Egypt, Yaakov and his sons. The beginning of each phrase is nearly identical. However, they diverge. Unlike Bereshus, which focuses on the individual who came down, Yaakov Uvanov, Yaakov and his sons came down. Bereshus is speaking of the individual. Shemos, from its opening Pasuk, highlights their families, 
Ishu Beso, each man and his household. This glaring variation from the phrase in Beratius is a magnificent clue laid by the divine author, drawing our attention as to who the protagonist of Shmos is and what direction the story will take. The words themselves tell us with this change in phraseology from Beratius that the key to understanding the Sefer of Geula lies in the family. Notice how they redirect our focus from the individuals who went down to Mitzrayim to their household. Family is the hero of this Shemos story. Let's follow the plot. The curtain of Shemos opens with the slave narrative, describing the exponential growth of Jewish families, Paru Vayishritzu Vayirbu. Paru reacts with a vengeance by persecuting household life, by imposing domestic servitude, what the Haggadah calls precious seeking to curb our marital relationships. And from this perspective, a well-known Gemara now takes on much deeper resonance when the Gemara teaches why were we ultimately redeemed? We were redeemed in the merit of our righteous women, our, the, right, the, right, the righteous wives in Mitzrayim, who drew their labor-weary husbands close, lathered them, fed them, even lured them playfully. Well, this behavior is credited as the zechus, the merit of redemption, because it was literally triumphing the entire motivation and agenda of the aggressor Paro, which was to stop the Jewish family. The Nashim Tzedkanius, in turn, were pushing this cause of Jewish family and the bias. The representative figures of the Nashim Tzedkanius in the text, and that is Shifran Pua, the righteous midwives, who birth children, who foster life, future Jewish generations despite Paro, they are described now so appropriately with the serenation and the reward. Vayas him, he made for them houses, reintroducing that phrase bias. That bias, that household, who is the protagonist of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, emerged triumphantly, despite Paro's attempts, the red thread running through the text is now unmistakable. We can take this pattern even further, this understanding that from the formation of our nation in Mitzrayim, it is the family which defines Jewish existence. There are other textual patterns in the early Parshias and Shemos, which highlight bias, the term, the concept, almost with neon colors, fluorescent neon colors in the text. For example, 
consider the Torah's golden language in depicting the makos, the plagues, afflicting not only Paro, but his entire household. Hashem afflicted Paro on his entire household, as it says in Devar and Parakvav, Pasach Chafbeis. Now that highlighting of Paro's household, though it is articulated only in Sefer Tvarim regarding the plagues in general, when we study the Torah narrative in Shmos regarding Makos Bechoros, it will be very clear that Hashem is appropriately striking not only the Egyptian, but his entire household. In Amida Kneged Mida, measure for a measure, you started up with the Jewish home, I will strike out your home. Because the Torah highlights regarding Makos Bechoros. There was a great wailing in Egypt because every Egyptian house was struck. It was not simply taking out firstborns, but the effect was felt by the entirety of the Egyptian household. This precisely corresponds to the pain which B'nai Yisrael had endured throughout the slavery, and in particular in the decree of infanticide, where the loss of a child was certainly felt by the entire household. In the time of reckoning, the Egyptian home would suffer disillusion while the Jewish home remained intact. This contrast is perfectly conveyed by the language of the Pesukim concerning Makas Bechoros, which highlight how Hashem passed over the Jewish bias from amidst the Egyptian button. For example... Hashem passed over the houses of B'nai Yisrael. He saved our houses. Or Rashi's depiction in Parshas Bo. Hashem skipped over B'nai Yisrael's homes from amongst the Mitzrayim's homes. Targeting the children of Mitzrayim is easily understood, the Bechorim, as Mida Knek and Mida, measure for a measure. On a Pshat level, the death of the Egyptian child can be seen as a retribution for the loss of the Jewish newborns. But the fullness of justice does not end there. As with the families of B'nai Yisrael, each Mitzri household wailed over the death, saying, Bias Asher and Shames. They too felt the bereavement in their whole home. There was a certain elegance to the, punish, the way the punishment fit the crime. Like B'nai Yisrael, the Mitzrim were struck with the loss of their children as well as dealt a blow to the cohesion of their families. The true effect of B'nai Yisrael's oppression is now felt by the oppressor at Makas Bechoros. Unlike the Jewish families, the Mitzri families now fell apart. This distinction between the Jewish and the Mitzri homes was not simply one of retribution for Pyro's persecution. On a deeper level at this point, we will see that the Jewish home showed its true colors, its true sanctity. It merited salvation from Makas Bechoros as a home. Let's consider the way the Torah introduces the Karban Pasach 
the sacrifice through which the Jewish people merited succor and salvation from Makas Bechoros. The Pasach offering was sacrificed by each household literally upon their residence. As the Psukim highlight again and again, the Yikhuahem ish Selabe Savos, Selabayas, the Shachtuosovalakhumin Adam Venasnu Al Habatim, Leo Sal Habatim. Each man shall take a lamb for his parental home, a land for the home, slaughter it, place its blood on the houses, bias, bias, again and again. And likewise, the carbon Pesach was consumed by the entire bias, by the entire family structure on that night in Mitzrayim. Eat it as one household. Do not remove it from the household. How much clearer could the Torah be? That Sefer Shemos, beginning with the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim story, is one of bias. This most central institution to Jewish life. Home is where the heart of Klal Yisrael beats. Karban Pasach was not an offering of individuals, but of a household. Sacrificed quite literally upon their houses. And marked by the blood of the carbon on their doorpost. In this powerful scene, they bonded as families over a mitzvah. Perhaps we don't generally think of the carbon Pesach this way, as a domestic offering, bonding as a family. But let's consider how the sanctification of the home resonates so splendidly with the goal of ensuring that the plague would pass over them. We have already seen that Makas Bechorus targeted the Mitzram as families. So in order to be spared, it was the Jewish family which had to hold together as so characteristically different. At this moment of peril, B'nai Yisrael found succor and security only in the sanctity of the homes, of their homes. And this sentiment is elegantly conveyed by the simple words of the Pasuk at Makas Bechoros. Do not leave the doors of your home until morning. Home was their safe space, their invaluable place of refuge from the lurking danger. Now we see that there is so much more to the carbon Pasach than, than the deceptively simple statement, I will see the blood and pass you over. As Rashi points out, this Pasek cannot mean that Hashem needed the visual marking to identify the bias as a Jewish home. Rather, it was to see that the people were engaged in a mitzvah and worthy to be saved. This commentary of Rashi begs the following question. If the offering did not serve as an external identification marker for Hashem, but rather as a mitzvah act for the people within the home. Why did the blood need to be sprinkled on the house altogether? Hashem knows they're engaged in the mitzvah of carbon Pesach. There must be some innate meaning to the sprinkling the blood upon the doorpost itself. Seen now as a sanctification of the Jewish family, the act of sprinkling takes on magnificent meaning. They were elevating not only the bricks and mortar, but the entire rhythm of family life, which takes place in the confines of the home. Even the mundane affairs of Jewish family life were glorified as consummately holy. This insight, 
assumes a final, elegant dimension to the concept of bodies when we dissect the following commentary of the Gemara regarding Harbin Pesach. The Gemara says that the act of sprinkling constituted the critical sacrificial ritual of Zrikas Hadam, the sprinkling which is required of any carbon. In the absence of a consecrated Mizbeach, this service was performed upon the house itself as a stand-in for an altar. In the terminology of the Gemara, the carbon Pesach had three altars, the lintel and the doorposts upon which his, its blood was placed. We can trace a supporting clue to this explanation in the language of the, of the Pasuk. Take the blood, which is rendered by Rashi to refer to the act of accepting the blood, the ritual performed for any carbon, but usually upon a formal mezpeach, here upon their houses. How remarkable that the household itself contains the holiness normally associated with the Mizbeach. Think of a bunch of mere ragtag slaves in Mitzrayim who do not yet possess a temple of their own, a mikdash of their own. Yet they are told that the true seat of Kedusha resides in their midst in the sanctity of their home. B'nai Yisrael may, may not have been aware of it, but in their pursuit of family life, in their dedication to the bias. They had been engaged in a process of elevating the bias to a level sufficient for a carbon, a holy offering. One finally, one final well-known carbon Pesach text which now comes to light. A well-known medrash we learned from childhood which tells us that B'nai Yisrael tied the lamb to their doorposts. What a bizarre scene. Baba in the bedroom. This conjures up livestock in that most private space. If the Medrash is highlighting this information, it must be to convey some additional meaning to the process of the carbon. Inviting animals into the home was certainly not to count sheep, but to let us know that something deeper is going on here. Of all pieces of furniture available in the household, by choosing the bed, the people sought to infuse the soul of the bias into the coming offering. In connecting the, the carbon to the epicenter of family life, the location of intimate spousal relations, the carbon was to be infused, imprinted as it were, with the Kedusha of bias. How B'nai Yisrael comported themselves in the home all the way to the marriage bed, deep in the meaning of the carbon. The lamb's symbolic meaning came to represent more than simply some mitzvah, some schus to be redeemed. It became identified as the very essence of the bias, the virtuous conduct of the family as, at its core. This intimate connection with their union made the carb, their carbon the most cherished value they could offer to Hashem. Kedushas Habayas. So what has become very apparent, the original thesis that Sefer Shmos, the Sefer of formation of Jewish nationhood, 
is a story of the bias. Well, this is clearly borne out in the first third of Sefer Shmos, Yitzias Mitzrayim, the story of slavery and redemption, which is really a fight for the Jewish family. Paro is threatening the Jewish family. The Jewish people, as led by the Nashim Tzidkanios, are pushing this cause, love of family, fidelity to family, and ultimately... This value is affirmed at the time of the Geula, when as the Egyptian household falls apart at Makas Bechoros, Kiein Bais Asherein Shames, the Jewish household is held aloft, so to speak, is raised to Mizbeach-like status. Let's continue to trace the developing pattern in the next segment of our Sefer. Following Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim at the midpoint to Shmos, we have Matan Torah, Well, Hashem introduces Matan Torah with the following invitation, overture to the Jewish people. So you should say to base Yaakov, the house of Yaakov, and tell the Bnei Yisrael. Beyond the simple meaning of this phrase, as a base Yaakov, as a description of the collective Jewish people, it resounds with a distinct meaning following all the echoes of bias in the Shmos story up to this point. To receive the Torah, the Jewish nation must see itself as a house imbued with the same nurturing environment the people had so dedicatedly cultivated in their own families. In this sense, Matan Torah continues the development of bias now on a national level. Here, too, the focus is not simply on the home but on the guardians of family life, the Jewish women. Because Chazal interpret the above citation. Lebeis Yaakov, Elu Hanashim. What does it mean that Torah should be presented to Beis Yaakov? That means it should be presented to the Jewish women. They are invited first to Matan Torah because the entire future of the Torah nation rests upon them as nurturers of the bias. In the well-known aphorism attributed to Churchill, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And certainly, as we have seen, the spiritual world. The men are only reached out to in the statement which follows, the saga of B'nai Yisrael. Oh, and then tell the B'nai Yisrael after you have told the women. This framework at Matan Torah is not my chiddush. It's generally well-known. But what is fascinating and less well-known is the focus on the women in the process leading up to Matan Torah. When the Torah says, Prepare for three days, do not draw close to a woman. I.e. seize marital relations for three days in anticipation of Matan Torah. Chazal understand the basis for these three days of preparation, the Shloshas Yimei Hagbalah actually as a safeguard against ritual impurity which would have impeded the women's Matan Torah experience. To ensure that Zara-ish, any sort of impure residue, would dissipate, and hence the women could participate in Matan Torah. Consider the provocative perspective embedded in this explanation of the Chazal. The preparation for Matan Torah observed by the entire nation had the sole purpose of ensuring that the women could participate in this seminal event. 
far more than simply a legalistic protocol. This injunction in the Matan Torah process is pregnant with meaning. Women's role as principal parties to Matan Torah was so overtly recognized, so resoundingly affirmed in the national consciousness. As base Yaakov, they are the guarantors of the Jewish future. The home they provide is the incubator in which the Torah can thrive. So now a cohesive, panoramic new viewpoint on the Shmo story begins to take shape. Beginning at Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim and now in the Matan Torah, which follows, this Sefer, the formation of the Jewish nation, is a story of bias. The centrality of bias continues seamlessly to the final episode of the Sefer, now in the more recent parishes we have been learning, the establishment of the Mishkan. The entire premise of the Mishkan was that there be a home in which Hashem could reside among us. It is exciting to consider that everything which we have discovered up to this point in the story of national redemption rises to its crescendo here in the construction of the ultimate bias. The Torah itself actually leads us to this conclusion, to see Mishkan as the continuation and ultimately the culmination of the story of bias and Shmos. In its omnipresent focus on the role of the Nashim, the women in the construction of the Mishkan, for example, the Torah showcases the Choli Shachachma slave Biyada Tavu, the women's expert spinning of wool into the curtains to serve as the Arios Hamishkan, the tapestries which served as the roof for the Mishkan. And likewise, it highlights the gift of mirrors which they gave for the Kiar, the laver. Vayas Asakir Bemaros Hatsovo Sashatsavu. And likewise, it highlights their donation of jewelry and adornments. Men came upon women to donate jewelry. In particular, that final verse we just read. Men came upon women to donate to the Mishkan implies that the men were joining the women who were actually the principal volunteers in contributing to the Mishkan. Each of the above citations regarding the women's role, their spinning of the wool, their donation of the mirrors, their principal role in donation of the jewelry and the vessels, is generally read in its own individual context, and therefore it's easy to miss the big picture into which they all fit. But when we notice them and bring them out together, we hear the, mu- the music, the harmony. We hear the song of bias in the development of Mishkan. Meaning as a divine bias, the Mishkan must be infused with the nurturing spirit characteristic of the Nashim Tzidkanius, who have been featured throughout our story from Sheba Mitzrayim. Now, At this point, there is room for a healthy dose of skepticism. I always say, skepticism is part of the learning process. Are we making too much of this? Is the Mishkan really so connected to the concept of bias with which Sefer Shemos begins? Shouldn't this connection be spelled out explicitly so we don't miss it? 
When we look closer, we can see that, in fact, the connection is spelled out. A well-known medrash comments on the Torah's description of the mirrors that the women had contributed to the kiyar. These are the same mirrors which the women had used during slavery to entice their labor-weary husbands to draw close to them and to engage in family life. Well, consider the power of that medrash for a second. Beyond mere happenstance information, there's clearly some concept, some meaning to this reappearance of those same mirrors which were used for intimate purposes in Mitzrayim. In this final episode in the story, Binyan Hamishkan. Now Rashi citing the Chazal develops a mere aspect, a mere element to the role of these mirrors of the Nashim Tzikhanius and Mitzrayim, their reappearance here in the Kiar. Rashi notes that there was a secondary function to the kiyar beyond its general sink function, serving as the washing station for the Kohen's daily avota. The kiyar was also used to provide the water in the sota ritual, for which the sota, the woman who was suspected of infidelity, she would drink from those waters. So comments Rashi, this woman, this woman who threatened the stability of her own marriage, who brought her husband to suspect her loyalty. She is, so to speak, chastised by drinking the water from this kiar made up of mirrors of the women who comported themselves with the greatest fidelity, the greatest love to, towards husband and family, the Nashim Tzikhanu Simitzrayim. That is a beautiful commentary of Rashi, but I need more, because... The role of the kiar in the Sota ritual is secondary. The kiar is not primarily there to serve Mesota purposes. Certainly the hope is that there are not too many sotas. The principal role of the kiar was to serve the daily avoda in Mishkan. The Kohen would wash at that washing station in the morning. So I'm therefore going to suggest the role of these mirrors of the Nashim Tzidkaniyus and Mitzrayim, these paragons of marital fidelity, must be serving some greater function in the Mishkan than simply the Sota ritual. Apparently, the mirrors of these Nashim Tzidkaniyus relate to the essence, the soul of the Mishkan. These mirrors capture everything which the women had poured into the creation of the Bayis and Mitzrayim their commitment to bearing life despite Paro's obstacles, their fidelity to husband, their love of family, all of these attributes and their entire ethos of family overall were melded into the Kiar and the Mishkan overall. I believe when the Kohen washed from that Kiar every day, he realized, he internalized the message. This Mishkan, this national bias, is permeated with the spirit of the original Batan and the original Natsum Sikaniyus Mitzrayim. Seen this way, the Mishkan emerges as the culmination of bias with its sacred character that had been forged from the very beginning of our Sefer the story of bias which we traced in Mitzrayim. Now the Ramban's commentary we began with, the Ramban in his preface to Shmos, 
in which he identifies Mishkan as the completion of redemption because it affirms our repossession of the secret of godliness in the tent resounds splendidly. From its vaulted position at the center of the machana, the center of the camp, the people could actually behold the Mishkan showcased, how the Mishkan showcased the Kedusha inherent in their own houses. And now, with this greater theme of bias, emerging pervasively throughout the Sefer. We can conclude with the final Pusik in our parsha, which is the final Pusik in Shmos, the resonant final chord. The final Pusik in Pekude and thus Sefer Shmos concludes the Mishka narrative as follows. Kianan Hashem ala Mishkan Yomam The divine cloud rested upon the Mishkan viewed by the entire bias, by the entire household of Yisrael. This Pasuk, with its unique description of the collective nation as a household, is generally glossed over. But by now it jumps out at us as a concluding sentence in its echo of the entire Shmo story with its focus on the bias. In this climactic moment, as they beheld the Mishkan, the people identify themselves as a nation of bias. The power of this Pasek, this above-cited Pasek, as a closing sentence to Sefer Shmos, assumes added strength when we contrast it with other closing verses to the Svarim of Torah, to the Chamisha Chomshei Torah. The entire Chumash, with the exception of Bereshis, is devoted to the story of the development of B'nai Yisrael as a nation. And all of its Svarim conclude most appropriately with a Pasuk mentioning the word Yisrael. For example, we just read the final Pasuk to Shmotz, Ki Yisrael. And likewise, Vayikra concludes, el Yisrael. And likewise, Bamidbar concludes, And likewise, Devarim concludes, So they are all consistent in the sense that they all conclude with the word Yisrael. All of these Chumashim are highlighted on Yisrael, the development of the Jewish people. However, there is one glaring distinction. And that is the difference of how Shmos concludes. Unlike the other Chumashim, which conclude with a description of either B'nai Yisrael, Kol Yisrael, only Shmos speaks of Beis Yisrael, the household of Yisrael, in an unmistakable departure from the others. Indeed, the theme of family is unique to this Sefer, culminating with the Mishkan. The holiness of Mishkan brings together and relies on everything which the people had cultivated throughout their experience, from slavery, through Matan Torah, up to this point of building a house for Hashem, the Shachanti B'Socham. The Mishkan stands for far more than the generally held notion that is a religious temple. In reality, it is a formal extension of the sanctity of the Jewish home, 
In the end, bias refers to not only the development of the human home, it encapsulates that magical, intangible element, the spirit of Hashem, that dwells within it, for which we are willing to sacrifice everything we have. My friends, tonight's study of Sefer Shemos, which we are concluding this week, Shemos has a story of bias. Could not be more relevant. Because we know the classic interpretation that Sefer Shemos is the birth of the Jewish people. The birth of our people defines who we are. What is our focus? Who are we? What is our national consciousness? Here we have a people, the Bnei Yisrael, emerging in Sefer Shemos, not defined by government, bureaucracies, military. We are a people defined by bias. The home is who we are. Home is the heart. The heartbeat of the Jewish nation. We know this. We pour everything we have into our families. This is a characteristically Jewish attitude. People think we're insane the lengths we go. The investiture of money, time, emotion. But we do it with the understanding bias is what it's all about. Spouse, children. And perhaps we cannot even articulate in words what is it about family which is so existential, so transcendent, so nishama-like. We just know it. We just got it. Bias is who we are. We're a people of bias. And therefore, say for Shemos, the story of the birth of the Jewish people, from its opening Pasuk, Elishmos B'nai Yisrael Haba Mitzrayimah Ishu Beisobo, to its concluding Pasuk in our parsha, Le'ene Kol Beis Yisrael, truly comes together as a story of bias. May we all be Zoha to take the inspiration of Sefer Shemos, Sefer Shemos seen as, seen in a, in this panoramic view. May we all take it to heart. May we all savor our households, savor our family members, hold them tight, hold them close. Be proud of this most cherished quality in a world which seems to be losing its tethering. No one feels connected to anything anymore. In this postmodern era of my truth, that's the big buzzword today, my truth, which means there's no larger reality. It is the, what is thought to be the appealing, liberating reality, liberating perspective that I create what I want to believe. But in fact, people feel aimless. Who am I? Where am I headed? If everyone is creating their own truth, then nothing really matters. In a world which mocks religion, mocks the family, 
mocks every basic foundation of civilized society. Well, we can be proud of all of these cherished institutions, which we re- continue to hold near and dear, our Torah, our Yiddishkeit, and specifically our bias. Thank you very much. Aguten Chodesh. May we all experience the Marben Besimcha this month in the deepest, deepest of ways. Thank you very much. Any questions? Bye.